Ready to roll? Let's do it. All right. I am Curtis Wild. We are here with Mark Osmack, and this is the second episode of Next Gen Dems, where we are going to, to interview the next generation of Democrats and progressives coming up uh, that are going to be the next leaders of this country, as far as I'm concerned. So um, tell the, the viewers exactly, and listeners, we're doing this audio, we're doing this video, we're doing a little bit of both. Um, but Mark... Tell the listeners exactly where your district is. Sure. So it's uh, pretty big. Uh, as everyone probably knows, it's based on population size and the last census. So uh, the general dividing line as far as like the west or sorry, the eastern boundaries, uh, if you consider Clayton, um, that's in the first district. So that's under Representative Lacey Clay. But Hanley is the dividing line. So everything west of Hanley, uh, the district goes as far south as Fenton and Arnold, but north of Festus, to put it in perspective for Jefferson County. Uh, it goes as far west as Eureka, so when you think of Six Flags, and as far north as uh, here we are in St. Charles, uh, but also a little bit of St. Peter. So Baldwin, Chesterfield, Wildwood, uh, all that is included in this district. So geographically, uh, it's it's big, uh, but it's also quite a big difference between you know those who are what kind of constituents in South County, Jefferson County, all the way out to West County and beyond uh, Eureka. Now, tell me a little bit more about the demographics of the area. What kind of people are there? Um, what's their socioeconomic standing? Yeah, so uh, it's it's the most, uh, in this term, it's the most wealthy district in uh, in Missouri. As far as congressional districts go, there are eight. Um, but it's the most uh, financially prosperous. And that changes if you go to different parts of it. But by and large, the average income is the largest uh, in this district in the entire state. Um, as far as other issues, uh, so African-Americans make up about 3.5%, 4 uh, to 4% of the uh, ethnic makeup within the district. So it's predominantly uh, white. It's predominantly uh, well-educated, meaning college or a bachelor's degree or higher. So uh, those things are starting to shift a little bit, but that's the – if you make it one snapshot, that's, that's what it would be. Got it, got it. Well, I'm going to move right to our first and only question. You guys need to get on the ball as far as the questions are concerned. Uh, I mean, I had Winston Apple on here. He's a DNC member. He's also running for office. Um, and now I've got a congressional candidate on the show uh, right here at Rendezvous. We're uh, trying to... to bring our show to the community we're trying to bring our message to the community um but you guys need to get some questions in because we want to know what you want to know we want to answer your questions we want to know what you want to hear um and and i want you to be able to question the guests and be able to learn them um be able to learn where they stand on the policy and all that good stuff so on to our first question um given that you have a very conservative district um what are some things that you are going to do as a Democrat to uh, sway those voters? Sure. So it's a great question. I just want to say it's from uh, the handle is from two stars, capital D dash, capital N-A, two stars. So that's the handle. Uh, so it looks like DNA with a dash in between them. That's a shout uh, out on Twitter. Shout out on Twitter. Uh, so the question, yeah, the question is, as a Democrat running in a predominantly Republican district, what is at least one point or position or opinion that you think would sway those voters? Uh, so just to provide a little background uh, some people, that's a great question. Uh, some people have asked, hey, are you concerned that your progressive leanings uh, might not fit into the district? Uh, and the answer, simple answer to that is no. Um, the reason why is there, there are several. So Jason Cantor won this district when he ran for Senate. Uh, Hillary Clinton did lose the district, but she did better than President Barack Obama did in 2012. 
And to kind of go a little bit further back, uh, we're not going to get into gerrymandering, et cetera, just yet. But this state, and I mean this very respectfully, this state in 2000 elected a deceased Mel Carnahan over a live John Ashcroft. So when we think about the history of the district and how red it is or how divisive it is, it actually wasn't that long ago when this was an actual blue state. And so this is 18 years ago, not 1,800 years ago, not 200 years ago. So that's that. Um, I don't know that there's one issue uh, that could, if someone's on the fence uh, to, to kind of get them interested in this, but one thing that I will that I will talk about is the new tax break, so or the new tax law, which uh, really benefits those who are in a good position financially anyway. Um, which I'm not saying is we should be picking on those people, but the taxes should only fall upon those who can actually pay them, and not be an undue burden. So, one thing that uh, Representative Ann Wagner she was touting this this new tax plan. And said, and that's hey, who's currently in the seat. Yes, so Representative Ann Wagner is the current incumbent. She's been in for uh, three terms, so six years. She's going for her fourth. Uh, so she was turning this tax plan as being the catalyst in inducing uh, bonuses. Mm. Uh, I don't think that's true, but 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 here's the real point of it. Whether or not people think that's true is... And, and the people who did get a bonus, I mean, you, you don't have to think it's true, but it is because the people who did get a bonus, many of them are now being laid off from the companies that gave bonuses. That is correct. So so even before that... So it was a severance package, really. It was a severance sometimes, unfortunately. <laughs> but so... Bottom line, when you get a bonus, when, when I get a bonus, when anybody gets a bonus, uh, it's a great thing. Everyone likes it. In a sense, what it is is, is an employer saying it's cheaper for us to give you a bonus than to increase your salary or hourly wage. Sorry. So that's, that's issue number one. Issue number two is I do find it strange that we're cel- people would celebrate getting a bonus when a bonus is actually taxed at a higher rate than your income. So if I get a $1,000 bonus, it's taxed at a much higher rate than, uh, say, if my hourly wages went up. And so when a lot of Republicans talk about, hey, we, you know, job creators, we want to start or restart the economy and, and, and you know, make that push. The thing is, economically, if you get a $1,000 bonus that's taxed higher, typically, and if you're anything like me, you do one of two things. You either pay off bills because you have a lump sum of money that you did not have before, or you save it. Mm-hmm. Um, but that is a one-time thing. So as far as actually benefiting the economy continually going forward and actually you know, providing some real momentum, a bonus does not do that. So to put it succinctly, the bonus we got, it sounds great, it looks great, and I understand that. On paper. On paper. But the reality of it is, reality of it is if you get a $1,000 bonus from your job, what they're saying is this is cheaper for us than to pay you more hourly or for a salary. Oh, and by the way, it's going to be taxed higher. So it's a very strange thing to tout and to celebrate because it's actually being taxed higher than if you had an increase in earnings. So letting people know that, uh, it's not to put anybody down. It's not to diminish the fact that, yes, people really do need more, more, more money, more income. That's going to help people. But it's kind of a, almost a backhanded way. And we've seen this with Southwest Airlines. We've seen this with uh, other companies. I don't want to get this wrong, but AT&T and others who have now laid carrier. off people. Yeah, uh, carrier, uh, Walmart. Um, Walmart has given bonuses, but now they're replacing their managers and mid-level managers uh-huh. with lower-cost employees to help them save money. Right. So right. Uh, to kind of quote Chris Rock, Chris Rock here, uh, minimum wage, if they could pay you less, they would. Uh, yeah. It's just they can't. So, yeah. Yeah, that's why they want to do away with the minimum wage. Correct. Uh, and make sure that everybody has to work under slave labor uh, and slave wages and be in debt slavery. Uh, yeah, and if you're looking at a full-time job, you should not be uh, 
you should not be barely making ends meet. And so, so one thing I'll talk about to hopefully answer this succinctly is the bonuses are there, but it's misleading and it's kind of a flash in the pan rather than a long, steady burn and, and, and benefit to people. Exactly. Kind of like the economic boost of the, the $300 that Obama gave away. Uh, yeah. Didn't really boost the economy much. No, because, again, people spend it on bills yeah. or they save it. And neither of those things generate jobs or, or stimulate the economy. Yeah. So what are some things that you want to do to tackle this? Uh, well, as far as the income inequality and, and yeah. keeping jobs here. So that's, that's, that's really good. Um, that's, so here's what I, here's what I would, when in terms of how we're going to stimulate these things, it's really complicated, of course, but there are different ways I think to go about this. Uh, I don't know for certain that increasing the minimum wage, uh, is going to be the answer to our prayers. I know, understand it's a hot button issue of, Hey, Let's make it $12 an hour versus $15 an hour. I get the challenges in that, but I am of the mind that it's not the amount that you make per hour. It's what kind of access do you have to common goods? So meaning what kind of access do we have to transportation? What kind of access do we have to affordable health care? What kind of access do we have to affordable education? And all this uh, should be inherent with quality education, quality health care, et cetera. So, yeah, because I don't mean to cut you off, but because uh, if you tracked uh, and kept – minimum wage um, index to inflation and productivity in America, then we should be making about twenty-one seventy-four an hour right now. But twenty-one seventy-four an hour right now is still not going to be all that much if you don't have health care, if you don't have public transportation, if you don't have public education, yep. um, if you don't have the things that are important to you, then you could be making all the money in the world and all we're going to have is inflation exactly. with no return on investment of our tax dollars. Exactly. So, I mean, and, and I mean this just you know, in a figurative sense, but if we increase the, the minimal wage to $25 an hour, great. But if people still cannot afford health care, child care, transportation, then it's almost a moot point. Because, I mean, there, there's an old saying, I learned this, I uh, heard this in, I think it was Estonia, from the Soviet, former Soviet nations. Uh, under Soviet times, they had, uh, they had plenty of money but nothing to buy. And then after, the, after communism fell, they had no money and there was plenty to buy. So I, I want to be careful that we don't end up in a very similar situation where, we, where the, the state or the federal government increases the minimum wage, but that does not follow suit with who has access to affordable child care, health care, education, et cetera, transportation, et cetera. Yeah, yeah. So how do we uh, work towards getting access to those things for more people, more social programs are necessary, obviously, um, unless everybody wants to be on their own and they don't want to be part of a society. Um, what are some things that you want to do uh, if you make it to Washington that are going to change people's situations, everyday working Joes? Um, and how are we going to get there? How are we going to find the solutions? Yeah. Uh, so part of it is, I think, one, taking a stand and saying this is what we should should not do. But more specifically, uh, it's a reprioritization of the way we spend our money as a state and as a federal government. So we have the money. Uh, I would argue it's not being spent correctly. Wait and, a minute, wait a minute. Are, are you suggesting that we shouldn't be spending a majority of our money on a military that is policing the world? Are you suggesting that our military shouldn't be more funded than all other industrialized countries? Well, I'm taking a – here we go also before I get to that. <laughs> yes. Uh, okay. So, so 
I joined the Army in 2008. Uh, best decision I've ever made, hands down. Um, Thank you for your service. My pleasure. I must make clear I do not represent the DOD, Department of the Army, Army Reserves in any way, shape, or form uh, for that. But, yes, I would say that. So the money is there. It's just not being spent correctly. And I'm not – I mean, I can get into this later, but I'm not, in this instance, talking about fraud, waste, and abuse. What I am saying is, though, as a nation, we have the funding. Our priorities are not what I would argue where they should be. So if we, you know, we, if we pay more than the next, what, seven or eight nations combined in defense spending, but five I think people, we're at like 15 now. Fifth, yeah, so it's a <laughs> lot. But we had five, we've had five St. Louisans die because of the cold. One right. gentleman died uh, in a, in a uh, porta potty. Exactly right. I don't, that, the second one died in a dumpster. Yes. Imagine that. Imagine so, a, you've lived in an entire life, and at the end of your life, you're dying you in a dumpster, in dumpster because it's too cold because we want to put more money in the pockets of corporate interest, our, our money uh, elites, and we want to put less money in the pockets of working day individuals and, and hardworking Americans and Missourians everywhere. Yes. And so, well, yes, I mean, I, I don't know that it's that exactly that clear of a dichotomy, but yes. And so it, funding and, and, and all that gets very convoluted very quickly, but to, in a sense, yes, exactly. So, and, so one example I'll use to just kind of provide some uh, perspective is there's, a, uh, there's an aircraft called the F-35. Uh, it's the new generation stealth fighter. Uh, the Air Force, the Marine Corps, and the Navy all have it. So the, the, the gist of this is we'll see the top-of-the-line fighter in the world. All right, great. So the thought process was – How's it doing? Well, that's a whole other show, but I'll, I'll touch on that momentarily. But So okay. the thought was if you produce more of these things, just like anything else, it becomes cheaper. So the Air Force, the Marine Corps, and the Navy are going to all use the same weapons platform. That's what they call it, but this jet, this plane. It hasn't worked. And the reason why is because the Air Force version is, is smaller, physically smaller, than the Navy version. The, the Marine Corps version is much different than the Navy version. The Marine Corps is a— How are they still in the same classification of plane, then? Well, that's, that's a whole other thing. But so basically the Marine Corps version, their, their demand or their requirement was that it be able to uh, take off on a short runway or vertically and land in a similar fashion. The Navy has to, you know, f- you know, fly in very alkaline or, sorry, salty environments and make these difficult carrier landings. Uh, the Air Force version is more for being nimble, so that's why it's smaller and, and shorter, that type of thing. So basically churning these, these things out in huge numbers has not yet worked. But right now, GAO, the Government Accountability Office, and CRS, Congressional Research Service, has estimated by the time this aircraft is fully implemented – and being fully serviced and repaired, et cetera, et cetera, it will cost approximately $1 trillion. And I have no idea what the concept of $1 trillion is, but I do know this. It well, is, they just gave a trillion and a half giveaway to their rich friends. Well, what, yeah, well, what puts it in the it, Well, there's, there's another example. So, like, the $1 trillion is 121st of our national debt. So we have 21-ish trillion dollars in national debt. This plane is $1 trillion. So here's what $1 trillion is. If you stacked up $100 bills, American $100 bills, and just stacked them up vertically, it would go up over 67,000 miles high. So that is one quarter of the way to the moon. So this, this weapons program is going to estimate it to cost enough money for $100 bills to stack up one quarter of the way to the moon, 67,000 miles high. So when I say we don't have money, that's not true. It's just that the people in Congress right now, I would argue, are not focusing on the right things. And I understand there's a different kinds of spending, defense spending, educational spending. I, I, I get that. But the funds are there. The proper focus is not. And why? Why is the proper focus not there? Why are these people obviously um, 
not working with the funds that we have properly? It we have uh, that's since two thousand one. Um, we've kind of ta- we've taken a different approach to how we spend things and and and, and what our focus is going to be on on defense. Um, look, I've been to Afghanistan twice as an army officer. Uh, I I don't get it. And so when people use buzzwords such as patriotism, security, security, I don't that. If you use that word, evidently that's enough to just say, well, this is what it's for. Um, the way these contracts go down in a very overly simplified way is if you make a vehicle, let's say a land vehicle, well, just vehicle X. If you make it, if there's a, a, a company Y that produces this vehicle, it's not made in one state. It'll, it'll be made in 30, 34, 38 states. And the reason why is because let's say I wanted to cut back on defense spending and increase uh, edu- education funding or, or, or health care funding. They would say, well, are you telling me, Mark Osmek, that you want to put the good people in 38 states out of work? So we are being overly reliant upon a war economy, a war-based economy that cannot sustain itself. A military-industrial complex? It's there. And President Eisenhower said that, but to be fair, he also said it on his way out. So, yeah. uh, you know. Well, he said it when he was safe, but he still he said, said it. He did say it, yeah. And yeah. So, so when we make these vehicles, we make these aircraft or what have you, they're made in a way that to turn them off would be very, very, very difficult. And you could be seen as being unpatriotic, not letting freedom. Well, the thing is, is that if you um, innovate past uh, the inventions that there are currently in the day, someone's going to lose their job if they don't evolve to learn how to do that next thing. Somebody at Polaroid um, lost their job when the cameras hit the iPhones. Um, someone, I mean, look at the lamplighters. A lot of people, I mean, myself included, yourself included, very labor, pro-labor, very um, labor-friendly. And um, we all have to realize that the lamplighters didn't appreciate when electricity came out. We have to move with the times. Um, so how do we get there? How do we, and, and before we get to that question, um, personally, I, I believe that uh, the best way that, that we can go about uh, Bringing down our military spending but still keeping our nation strong is by bringing our boys home in a majority of situations. Still keep enough actionable positions around the world to be able to take action when necessary um, if there's any outside threat against the United States. Um, But I think that we should bring our boys home, use the money that, that we're spending on our military here at home. Our boys are close enough to our men, our women, our, our military is close enough to uh, be able to protect this nation. I'm not calling for a military uh, police patrolling the United States, but if anything goes down, you'll know our boys are here. You'll know that, that uh, uh, they are able to go home to their families and have good mental health. Um, what do you think about that? Uh, well, a lot. Um, I think that the best way to take care of those who are currently in the military uh, is by ensuring that we do not, as a nation, do not enter unnecessary wars. Agreed. Uh, at conflicts that are without end or, or without purpose. Um, if we can't see, if there is not the possibility, essentially, for a ticker tape parade in Times Square, I don't, I don't know what we're doing. Um, so that's, that's one aspect of this. Uh, another one is our current position in the world. We are in many, many different nations uh, as a military, whether it be in the Marine Corps, the Navy, the Army, um, the Air Force. Uh, so we're in a lot of different places. It is tough because if not us, then who? And so I'm not just saying it's, it's easy just to – the easy part is, yeah, shutting down a military base and saying, yeah, we're done here. But 
Uh, one of the things I, one of my favorite uh, terms I learned in, in school was... That's why I'm running for office, by the way. Because if not us, then who? Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it, a vacuum will only exist for so long. And that, ter- that comes in terms of a financial vacuum, a power vacuum, a military vacuum, a leadership vacuum. It only exists for so long. And if it's not filled properly, uh, not just the United States, but other nations may not like how it is filled. So whether it's Iraq or, or Libya, when Gaddafi gave up uh, his weapons of mass destruction... It wasn't very much long after that Omar Gaddafi was not living any longer. So uh, that's, a, that's kind of like when other people are in charge, when other leaders are in charge of nations, they go, well, look what happened in Libya. So then that nation started kind of descend into chaos now. And so or it has been since, since he was killed. And I'm not at all. He should have been removed. Absolutely. Uh, we just need as a global community or as Libyans to have like, hey, what's, what's the next step then? Yeah, yeah. And we don't realize that even under a Saddam Hussein in Iraq um, – they had a certain amount of stability. We go in, we take Saddam out, it unstabilizes the region. And then you have ISIS a number of years later. So how do, how do we move out and avoid that um, would be a good question for somebody of my beliefs. Uh, yeah, if we, it, yeah that, I, I, to be honest, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, my time in the Army has not been – so I, you know, I've been in for almost 10 years now, but in the active Army and Army Reserves, uh, I can't say that I know how all that's going to play out because I'd just be lying. I'm not going to do that. Um, but if we don't have a follow-up plan, the easy part is pulling the trigger, so to speak. The hard part is then what? It's the consequences well, at well, the Well, that's where that. I become a little bit of a conservative, and it's like that. that's kind of not our job. I mean, I understand that we went over there and, and destabilized certain regions – um, but maybe the stability that was there wasn't the best stability for the people there, and I understand that too. Um, but when it comes to other countries, um, those are decisions that, that they should make. Those are decisions that their people should make. Uh, and it, I realize that this sounds simplified because sometimes it's putting a civilian against an army. Um, but the fact is is that we shouldn't be playing, in my estimation, we shouldn't be playing world police. And the fact that we're still playing it is causing some of the issues that's going on. Would you agree with that? Uh, not really. And, and the reason why is because uh, if it's the people deciding, we're kind of, that's making an assumption that they have the same capabilities or the same democratic uh, opportunities that, that we do and other nations in the world do. And that's just not true. So to uh, to say, well, why didn't the people who were opposing Saddam Hussein in Iraq uh, oppose him or go against him well the reason why is because he used nerve gas and he killed a lot of them um so it's it's one thing for us to say it here in st charles hey why don't they do this it shouldn't be us Mm -hmm. got it but then how are they going to do it and so that then you kind of get into this are we funding an opposition army or the rebels kind of like what we did when uh the soviet union invaded uh, yeah there's so many intricacies involved that it's hard to have a clear-cut decision on, on what to do with that. So that's why I'm asking these questions, yeah. to, to get a, a better understanding of where un- other people are. Um, so, other, so the viewers and listeners um, that, are, that are hanging out with us here at Rendezvous Cafe, is it 217, 217 North Main in O'Fallon, Missouri? Um, and we are with Mark Osmack, um, who is running for Congress yep. in the second congressional district in missouri um so we're going to have differing of opinions but um open and honest communication is where uh, we come to an understanding and we can come to solutions Uh, i think more people need to realize that so uh when it comes to 
me seeing us as a, a world police, I realized that uh, I, I believe that we're in that position. Uh, I believe that things like that happen to a lot of great dynasties and the Romans uh, come to mind and it happens usually before a fall. Um, so how do we make sure that these regions are stabilized um, but still be able to avoid the fall of an empire um, that we're kind of leading into, it seems like. So, yeah, and I hope this answered it. Uh, answers this. Um, look, war is terrible. Uh, it's awful. I've been twice. My brother was in the Marines. He went to Iraq during the surge. I was in Afghanistan during the surge of 10 to 11, then again, 13 to 14. Um, My brother was a Marine as well. He yep. put in a decade in the Marine Corps. Yep. So, Shout out to Staff Sergeant Gregory Allen Hillenberg. Thank you, Staff Sergeant Thank Allen. you. Thank you for your service. <laughs> um, so, I, look, it's an awful thing. There's a quote, uh, it is good that war is terrible lest men become fond of it, something to that effect. Um, if Congress were to authorize a war, uh, which that's there, there's something called the authorization of military force, and that's AUMF, and that's based on – so a lot of our conflicts now are still falling under the AUMF of 2001. So a lot of people are arguing that in Congress that this is an outdated document that's almost 17 years ago-ish and change. Uh, we need to kind of update this thing. But I have a I – don't, I don't want to oversimplify this, but to provide a litmus test, uh, where you have, if, you're, if we're dealing with bad actors or bad states or failing states uh, and people in the United States said we need to do something, great. Who's we? So the first litmus test is the, the we is truly going to be we. Mm-hmm. The we is not going to be the less than 1% that are in the military going to conflict after conflict after, after conflict. So what am I saying? I'm saying that if Congress votes for a, for a war, great. Guess what happens now? Your children are now automatically enlisted in the United States Army or the United States Marine Corps. Don't like that? Well, I guess you don't really want to go. So there's a lot of audacity in that people who are elected to Cong- the House of Representatives or the Senate, Senate to send their own constituents to fight a war that they don't think it's worth their own kids fighting. And save me, not you, but save me the speeches. Well, he or she is 40 or 40. Great, cool story. But you're sending somebody else to go, except for your family. I've got a problem with that. Secondly, it's going to be paid for. Right now, we are living, we are chalking this debt. We're, we're, we're living, we're, we're funding these wars on debt. Mm-hmm. So the we ticks me off for a few reasons. One, the we is going to be a collective we, period. Secondly, Guess what? Everyone's paying for it. One of the realities I've come across in this campaign and just, and just you know, at, at large in my, in my experience is that the majority of us only respond or primarily respond to financial concerns. Uh, morality is a great thing to throw around and all, all that. That's wonderful. But the reality of it is people respond to monetary concerns. I promise that if everyone's taxes from everything from a burger to gas to cost of living to whatever, every single tax that we have, sales tax, property tax, if it increased 2% every year, I promise you there'd be more outcry about these conflicts. I promise you it would not have gone on for 16 years. And to put things in perspective, this nation, and in, 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 with, with help with many other great countries, defeated Nazi Germany and the Empire of Japan in four years. We are now entering our, well, soon to be 17th year in Afghanistan. So to put what, that, what's our national debt at again? Uh, approximately $21 trillion. Okay. And before we started these wars, we were about three, four? I think, I, I don't want to say definitively, but it's a lot. 
it's it's mm-hmm. been ex, it's been increasing exponentially. So it's probably close to a trillion dollars a year that we're going into it, debt it's, it's for a, these wars. Well, not just for these wars, but for myriad right. other reasons. But right. it certainly is a part of it. But the the, the fact is that we haven't bore that burden. Mm-hmm. We haven't carried it. It's been chalked up to debt, and that's going to be that's everyone's kids, grandkids, grand, great grandkids. That's who's going. But to be what is that that derived from? Since we're not on the gold standard anymore, um, why could we not just wipe debt clean? Why why couldn't we just uh, well, know, I mean, print more money and tax aid to uh, curve inflation. Yeah, I, that's that's one of the ideas I've heard is that we print more money. And my re- response was, "Well, isn't that going to cause inflation?" Mm-hmm. Um, but we and, don't actually print money anymore. It's just ones and zeros on a keyboard, right? Well, correct. But but it, there is whether it's a dollar, like a paper dollar, or one point zero zero in a banking account or checking account. That's what it's it, it's it's agreed upon. And this is the most stable currency in the world right now. And that's not going to change. But the concern is how much more debt can we take on before it becomes more than we can actually pay back. And so, again, it, my thought is, look, if we're, gonna, if we're gonna going to go into conflicts throughout the globe, well, again, your kids are going or your grandkids are going, and everyone's going to be taxed for it. That's the only other way because the we, that is the definition of we. So if CNN or Fox or MSNBC says, you know, what do you think, what do you think we should do about North Korea or Iran or, 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 or whomever, and they say, well, we need to do this. Well, I know the we. My brothers are one of those we. Your brother's one of those we. My friends are some of those we. I know the we. Uh, so we're all... And over, it's not you. It, in well, some cases, in some cases, it's not you. <laughs> so it, it's, one, it's easier to, 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 to feel good about oneself and say, well, I, I said we need to go do this when there's no skin or risk in the game. And that's, that's, yeah. a, real, that's a real problem. You know, a problem I see, too, and it goes back to healthcare, is that we go over to other countries and in certain aspects, things that are destroyed, we rebuild, like hospitals... Um, while we're rebuilding hospitals in other countries, people are dying from healthcare needs here in America. So how do we curve that? Yeah, well, it's, it's a similar thing as far as priorities go. And so yeah. uh, financial yeah, We need to get our priorities straight. Right. And so what are our, what are our priorities as a nation? Uh, whether it's the city government, state government, and, and federal government, what are our priorities? And so government's able to do some great things, and they're able to do things that really no one else can do or no other entity can do. If we, like I'm looking at the, this road right here. Um, that is the government's respon- responsibility to, uh, uh, to, to, to create it, but also to maintain it. Um, we may not like the time that it's maintained or how long it takes, and that's, those are fair criticisms, and we can hopefully get better at it. But there are certain things that government can do just because of its sheer size that nothing else can do, and that things should not be privatized uh, because they are public goods. And a public good could be a park. A public good could be a streetlight. A public good could be considered education uh, beyond K through 12. So, wait, like in your community and yeah, well, yeah, your community and beyond. You know, so there yeah. are things that that are public goods uh, that everyone uses and benefits from, or can use and can have access to, or should anyway, um, that only the government can really provide. So well, that's I, socialism, Mark Osmack. No, no, no. <laughs> yeah, no, it's not that. But, but explain to those who who would say that that's socialism. That's uh, uh, too much of of collectivism or whatever well, I mean, well why not well we're, we're here and so uh-huh. the idea i mean the, the, the first giveaway is social security i mean this is something that we benefit from and i can understand that people right now are going to be yelling saying well, it's going to run out and, and that, that it i hope not um, and i think that's one of the things that we have to do as congressional leaders uh, is to ensure that it doesn't uh, but for instance on a personal note my grandmother um she worked uh periodically but she was primarily uh, a homemaker mm-hmm. um and so when people, when some might say, hey, if you don't put in, you're not going to take out, I, I, I truly do understand that. 
but then you're also telling an 87 year old grandmother, "Hey, you were a homemaker in 19, you know, 58 all the way through." And the you, 70s, didn't and you didn't contribute to this so therefore, society. You don't get anything. Like, exactly no. right. So are you gonna, we're going to put our own grandmother. Huge contributions. Yeah. So Huge contributions. It, it, it is worth it. It yeah. is worth it. And to before Social Security came about from Franklin Roosevelt, um, once you left work, retired, were fired, or whatever, and there were a whole other list of issues there, not being protected, workers' rights, OSHA, that type of thing didn't exist. Uh, if you didn't have money, it was just, well, I guess you're 60, 70, 80, and you're just going to die on the street. That's yeah. it. And so... I think that's a time that they're trying to hearken back to. Well, they're forgetting... Um, well, there's good and bad in any time. There is no golden age. Um, there's also the time when, when people of different races couldn't marry, also different times when you couldn't drink out of the same water fountain. So there is no golden age, um, period. But... That is something. No, I wasn't saying it was oh, good. Yeah, yeah. no, it's there, <laughs> that, there are aspects. That's that what they're are. trying to bring us back to is the the fifties or even before then. You know, well, I, maybe I, it's just there are good and bad with everything, and so I'm more excited about where we're going to be going. And it's not a, just a cheesy thing to say. Is that look, we know what works, we know what doesn't. Let's build upon that. The fact is, and that's the focus of this show is future forward. Yes, that's I, it. I mean, we, we need to look to the future. We can't even look back and and relitigate 2016. It's gone. It's past us. We're looking at 2008. 18 we're looking to make changes and i know that you're trying to do that as well um what are some of the things that excite you about the future that you envision well and paint that picture for the audience what's a future that mark osmek envisions i am incredibly excited about for instance i'll pick on one thing or focus on one thing education so uh the state of tennessee I believe they just instituted a free community college. I don't like the term free because one, it turns a lot of people off, but two, nothing is free. Nothing, right. nothing is free ever. Um, so it's tax funded, which is great. Wonderful. I think that's why some progressives um, switch to tuition free. Right. But right. tuition in front of it kind of changes the dynamic a little bit, but you still got that free word in there. And that's scary for some people. It is. Nothing is free. And I, I don't, I'm not going to use it. It's just, so, all right, so the state of Tennessee has – they are reducing or lowering or eliminating the cost of community college. On its face, sounds great, and I, and I agree. It's, it's, it's wonderful. But I would actually argue it's not the cost – oftentimes, it's not the cost per credit hour that is prohibitive for people to enter school. It's two things, child care and transportation. So you can make it free, air quotes free, but if people don't have a way to get there or they can't have – they don't have child care, well – Shoot, make it. It doesn't matter. Make it free I mean, doesn't it, help. It doesn't help at all. So, yeah. so what are we doing? That's to, like you could get a free cruise, but right. you got to get there. Yeah, got to get there. So, <laughs> you know, it's so it's so how are we going to how are we going to implement? And that, that's kind of similar to the discussion about minimum wage. Is yeah, if we raise it to a certain amount, wonderful. But if you still can't afford basic goods and necessities or services, then then it's it's a moot point, or it could be a moot point. And so I think that's in term in terms of education is that it's not free, but I think it's a shifting of priorities to include trade schools, to include trade schools, to include trade schools. I'm an English major. No one is begging for my knowledge of the semicolon and the Oxford comma. Nobody. Um, I love my degree, but the reality of it is there are a lot of other ways to to thrive and to benefit in the United States uh, besides what's kind of being shoved down everyone's throats, like you have to go to college or else. Mm-hmm. Um, or else what? You know, so... Yeah. Uh, that's well, like we talked about before we did this podcast, I don't have a broadcasting degree. I, I'm not a professional broadcaster, but sometimes you just got to do things. Right. And then once you do it, it's a reality. Yes. So it's, it's, I, I am personally more interested in what am I excited about in the future? 
reducing the barriers to entry. And that sounds like a very you know technical, boring thing, but like so explain it. So right now, in order to get to a, a certain position, a certain job, or a certain whatever level we might think of in, in life, there are oftentimes inherent barriers to that unless you're of a certain economic class. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that those lines are being hardened and solidified. Uh, if college tuition continues to increase, it, will, it really will turn into one of two things. Uh, one, you pick one ch- which child you love the most, and that's the one that's going to go to, to university. Uh, <laughs> or, or two, only those who have, the, who have money that can send all their kids to college uh, are going to be the educated class. And we're getting right back into what we saw 200 years ago, 250 years ago, where the elite were the only ones able to go to, to universities. Um, I'm not concerned about private universities, but the state colleges, the state universities, for instance, in Missouri, their purpose is solely to educate the people of the state, yeah. period. Yeah. This is not about making money. My alma mater, Mizzou, is, should not be in the business of making money. They're not a business. Right. I understand that people want to run things like that, and it seems very uh, alluring, mm-hmm. but it really shouldn't be in this instance. The exactly. Mizzou should, Mizzou's endowment is so large, and there's one thing that hasn't gone substantially down, the cost of tuition. So whether it's getting lazy rivers or, or ginormous TVs, none of that has anything to do with education. Mm-hmm. Um, so it should be about providing Missourians and other people throughout the country that want to come to this state, which has great, great, great universities. It should be attracting the most talented, uh, energetic, uh, capable people throughout, this, throughout the state and throughout the nation rather than incrementally increasing every single year their, their tuition. Yeah. Uh, that's that's the wrong way to go about this. Well, that comes into investing in our future generations. That I mean, uh, there are two things that strike me as the top of the the food chain as far as issues are concerned. Sustainability is one of them because I feel that um, everything falls under sustainability if we don't have education, if we don't have healthcare, if we, it's not just energy. Um, we have to to form a sustainable society and sustainable systems that work for everybody and work for everybody equally. Um, and so I look at, at education, um, and I think that that's one of the greatest investments that we can possibly make in sustainability because we're going to be able to create the best minds in the world. We're going to be able to have the best systems in the world if we're not worried about buying more flat-screen TVs and buying more workout equipment for, for the sports team. Uh, you know, sports are great, but they're not going to change the world. Um, great minds are going to change the world. I say all the time... We should be looking to our teachers and our scientists, and they should be uh, the celebrities of our day, not the Kim Kardashians or the Kanye Wests or the Donald Trumps. Um, And if we start looking to the great minds, the the Einsteins of a new generation, then I think that we're going to be a better country for it. Yeah, unfortunately, or maybe fortunately, I can't legislate that. Um, but, but, But one thing I can help encourage or just let people know about a year or two ago, I went to a, a ice rink in Creve Corps. So I played hockey for since I was 13, a long time. Before you get into this story sure. and hold that thought, let's get into that. Let's get into that. Your hockey background. You played oh. for the Rangers, right? Uh, oh, not, not the New York Rangers, but yeah, the, the, uh, the, the Army team. So okay. I started off playing. Um, uh, my good friend, my best friend Mike, uh, introduced me to hockey uh, when I was a kid. Uh, we used to live in Chancellor Farms Trailer Park, which is in Fenton, so off of 141. Um, used to be where, across from where Springdale Pool was. Uh, it's now gone, but if you go down Saline Road and keep following it for a couple of miles, it's there. So I learned how to play hockey in a cul-de-sac in, in, uh, in Chance Farms Trailer Park. And that went in from roller hockey to ice hockey. 
Um, so I started playing. Uh, if someone sees or thinks that I'm fam- look familiar, it's probably because they saw me sitting on the bench for Limburg High School, uh, just <laughs> quietly, quietly weeping. That joke never makes anybody laugh, but it's true. And so after that, you know, I went to college. But uh, when I uh, joined the army, uh, I was stationed in Germany initially, and they started an army hockey team, and they were called the Bayern Rangers. So Bayern is the German word for Bavaria. So we're in the south part of. Uh, of, of Germany, so I was in the Second Cav, uh, Second Cavalry Regiment, uh, Two Year Prey, um, but started playing for them, and we got to play other other countries, other uh, teams, whether they were um, uh, NATO or they were Air Force teams or, or other Army teams or Marine Corps teams. So we'd play uh, throughout Europe, and so that's so I got to play again. Uh, played in Czech Republic, Germany. It was it was, it was absolutely unbelievable. So I did that. So now I've been playing for. Was it almost 23 years now? So uh, I don't play as often as I, as I used to, but you know, I'm almost 36. So, <laughs> so the, toll, you're but, starting yeah. to feel your joints. Yeah, so I'm a goalie, so it just kind of you starting know, to crack, getting out yeah, of bed, a little bit, and it's just places that aren't usual. It, yeah. So, but no, <laughs> hockey. Hockey has been for me uh, a great thing to help me transition from, say, the two deployments uh, that you come back. You're with some guys and gals who know what you're talking about. But also, you're, you're, you're honestly, we're taking part in a game that is just so beautiful and so wonderful. And uh, so, I, I would, one of the highlights of my life has been a, being able to play for the Byron Rangers. And just to let everyone know, uh, a great man by the name of Brad Hustis started this team uh, in 2009, and uh, it's been going since. And so, it's 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 based primarily out of one regiment, which is about 3,600 people. Um, so, to get the kind of talent, hockey talent. Uh, out of 3,600 people, uh, you can imagine, like, that's a small sample. Yeah. Um, it, it, they're, they're always competitive, and it's been, seriously, one of the, one of the best memories I have from, from Germany is playing for that team. So Awesome. Yeah. And you're a big enough fan that your cat's name is Gretzky. The cat's name is Gretzky, uh, the great one. And so he is a lap cat. He is – I'd show pictures if I could because he is a cuddle bug. I love him to death. So yeah. that's yeah. my thing. Like we were talking about before the show, and I'll mention to the audience, um, two of the, the big things that – uh, two of the big quotes that go through my head. A lot of quotes bounce around my head a lot, but two of the big ones are from Wayne Gretzky. Uh, as you said, the great one. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of them is be where the puck is going, not where the puck is at. Yep. And the other one is you will miss 100% of the shots that you never take. Um, and that derives into politics for me. That derives into uh, um, DJing and, and what I do to put food on the table. That derives into the wrestling for me. Um, so what, what are some things that you took from hockey maybe, or, or what are some quotes that are powerful and important to you? Uh, those, both those quotes are great. Uh, one of the many things I've learned from hockey is, is honestly just a sense of camaraderie and teamwork. Um, so got that kind of doubly, uh, in the army, active army for six and a half years, but also on a primarily army hockey team. Um, ranks didn't exist. Uh, on the team, so it doesn't didn't matter if you were a colonel or a private. Everyone was John or Mark or you know Sam or, or anybody. So and you could check them all you wanted. To. Yeah, within yeah within within, <laughs> within <limits>. reason, <laughs> within limits. But yeah, so so it, it's been ma- it's been mainly that kind of camaraderie and also commitment to get better. And that's the pre- you know people see that when they watch the Blues, they don't see the practices typically. So they don't know when you see that you know whether it's a twenty year old kid. Or, you know, Yamir Yager, things like 43 or 44, just, my God, he's still hanging on. That's great. And doing really well. Um, what they don't see are, is all the work, time, and effort that went into that. And so whenever we would play and, and, and typically do very well uh, for the Rangers, uh, that's wonderful. No one saw 
the amount of work that went into it. It's not just when we got to Germany, but the amount of time that you spent skating and practicing as a kid and as a teenager to get to that point where you're able to play at a pretty competitive level uh, in Europe. So uh, it's not so much for me, it's not so much quotes. It's more of the fact that I know they got my back Uh, as a goalie. If I made a save, you know, I may not be after if I make a save and I'm down, I I really can't look up because my eyes my focusing on the puck. And if I have it trapped, Um, but what I do see are the socks, the color of socks, and I know my team's socks. I know they're going to battle for me. They're going to stick out for me in case someone tries to spray me or get a couple jabs in. So it's, a, it's, a, it's actually an extremely so reassuring that's, that's an important lesson. Know the socks. Know the socks. Know the socks of your friends. If you're a goalie, your know, know your socks are because you, you can look up and know that if they're with you. And then it was always in, in a moment just reassuring, like, yeah, they got my back. And, and yeah. it's like, yeah. And then I got theirs. So in quotes aside, who are some people that you looked up to coming up? Who are some people that you may look up to now? Um, maybe heroes, maybe just people who you look to as an inspiration. Yeah. Uh, so when I was a kid, it's kind of a weird story. I posted it on, uh, I think, Facebook and Twitter recently. But uh, So my dad had a trash can, a metal trash can, um, and it had all the presidents on it, uh, up until President Nixon's first term. So you can imagine a, pra- a trash can with brown, a dented, beat to hell, but it has portraits of the presidents going all the way around it and in the center it has uh, and in, in the largest uh, picture it has president nixon and, uh, and encircling him were at the time the most recent presidents leading up to that and it went i think all the way down to wilson mm-hmm. just because those are the most recent iterations of that so my dad drew on um, a widow's peak on on, on uh, nixon and some earrings and i think like a necklace and i i, I was five and i thought like what a strange-looking guy. And I actually thought that's what Nixon looked like until... Looked a little like a grown-up Eddie Munster. Yes, basically, yeah. (laughs) Um, Which my widow's peak is closely getting to. So, um, so, yeah, so... so you could get on Propecia like Trump. No, 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 I'm good. good. (laughs) If it goes, it goes. Little little hair loss? Nah, I'm good with it. If it grays, it grays. If it goes, it goes. Um, I'm digging my gray, to be honest with you. I just wish that it would go straight to white. They we'll have a dark there. complexion. We'll get so, there. We'll yeah, get, I'm we'll, only 37. I am only, yeah, 36. You could never tell by my hair. That's all right. Uh, so it's a little more blonde today than usual, but if you look at the top. Uh, sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah, there's some blonde in there. I, I would say, there. well, the back is a little more blonde than usual. Yeah, that is more true. brownish there, blonde is than true. usual. But the top, it's uh, almost fully white, and I'm 37. Hey, like my, my bar says, uh, you earned every one of those. So that's, that's true. That's, that's true. And I started going great at 15. It's ironic that I started working at 14. Sure my first no job was detasseling, tor- uh, detasseling corn for Pioneer um, and Decalb. And oh, mid- Decalb, Illinois. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And, and, no, oh, Missouri. And Decalb, the company. There was a company called Decalb oh. and a company called Pioneer. And I detasseled corn for both of them over a summer. That was my first job at 14. Huh. Um, so yeah, that, that was rough. That, that's one of the first jobs that made me decide I want to one day work for myself and set out towards that. Yeah. And own my own cornfield. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. Well, I don't know about <laughs> cornfield. I try to stay out of cornfields. I don't even eat corn really. Oh. Yeah. Have you seen oh. King corn? I have not, but I know the premise behind it. You yeah. should definitely yeah. check it out and look into it. Cause it's not, not all right on. Uh, there are some detractors and everything that I watch I type in the same information and put debunked behind it. Mm-hmm. So there are some people who have tried to debunk it, and you gotta got to take from both sides. But King Corn is an interesting documentary, especially if you eat a lot of corn. Yeah, I, 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 try to, I, I love documentaries, but I have not seen that one. Um, so yeah, so, who did I, so when I was a kid, it was President Kennedy, and that was based upon that circle that was around President Nixon. So that's where that started. So my brother and I, I have two brothers, one sister. Uh, my brother and I grew up thinking that Every kid had a favorite president. Uh, so mine was was Kennedy, 
and my brother's was uh, Truman. Mm-hmm. And so that kind of started my fascination with with politics, but also public service and, and the presidency. Um, so who do I now? I still look to President Kennedy. Uh, I also look to President Carter. I, I also look to uh, President Truman. Um, I, I Those are some that I look to to see, like, okay, how do they handle this? Because um, other people, other men and women have gone through far worse challenges that are way more trying than anything that I've experienced, and how did they handle it? And so I, mean, I think most people know this story, but when Frank, President Roosevelt, Franklin Roosevelt passed and they notified Vice President Harry Truman, uh, they said, Vice Pre- Mr. Vice President, uh, the president's passed. You, you are now the president. And he said... Uh, it felt as that at that moment the entire world had fallen upon my shoulders. And he had this is 1945, and he had no idea about the atomic bomb. He had no idea about atomic energy. He had no idea about any of that. And all of a sudden they said, "Mr. President, we need to make a decision on what we're going to do." Um, he had been, you know, a failed haberdasher, but but that whole lineage, that whole story, and of course him being a Missourian and also a fellow artillery officer from Missouri, um, that still resonates. And when I looked at mm-hmm. President Carter, I know. I know people like to pick on him and uh, you know, look down on his presidency, and I get it. I can be, I'm very objective. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also think until we revere the leaders, men and women leaders, on a similar level of those who have led us through war as to those who have kept us out of war, we're going to have some challenges. So President Carter could have, President Carter could have gone to war with Iran. They had our hostages. They were held captive for 444 days. Um, he had every reason to. Um, the scholars and everyone else are going to debate whether or not what he did, reacted, was right or wrong. But I looked to that, and I think it was easier for him to say yes than to say no, and he didn't. Yeah. Um, the older I get, the more I realize that um, emotional responses are, are not necessarily the best responses. That's correct. And, <laughs> and I see that uh, restraint becomes the better part of valor sometimes because just because you can, just because you're powerful enough to, doesn't mean that you Absolutely. should. Absolutely. And, and so, so um, that, that's one. I was fortunate enough to meet President Carter twice, uh, a true cool. highlight Very for me. Cool. I, right after I finished OCS, Officer Candidate School, in 2008, I stuck around Georgia. I went to a basic training and officer school at uh, Fort Benning, Georgia. Mm-hmm. Uh, I stuck around, and President Carter spoke at his church. And I, I shouldn't say his church. He hates it when I say it. But mm-hmm. at, at the church at he attends. At a church. At mm-hmm. a church. The church he attends. And uh, I met him. And when I was getting out of the active army, I drove down to Georgia, and I met him again. And I said, Mr. President, I want to thank you. He, what he has done, uh, he didn't know it, but he provided the bookends for me. He was, the, he was there at the start, and he was there at the end. And uh, for me to... Uh, he's not perfect. He knows that. Mm-hmm. I know. I know. He knows. Oh, there are things. And that no one should expect no a president right. to be. Everyone has their flaws. Everyone. But beside him being a great man, aside from him being what you know most people agree is the best former president in the history of the United States, uh, for me it was an immense honor that a guy from three divorces. My parents divorced three times. To go from three divorces, five school districts, to being the president of the United States twice. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just uh, it's it's an honor. It, it just is. What I know, and absolutely it would be, you know. Um, what I noticed is that all of your answers were presidents. So uh, have you always been politically minded? Have you always kind of thought that maybe Congress would be an option? Um, 
Always been politically minded. I was a very weird kid, which probably is not surprising. Uh, but uh, yes, uh, always loved it. I didn't know that I loved it. When I was five or ten, I didn't know the word policy. But um, I always have been. Uh, it's always been something that has intrigued me because it, it really is service. Yeah. Uh, and so yeah. one, that, one question that people often should ask, why are you doing this? Uh, the best answer I can give is I'm compelled to. Yeah. And I'm forced to in the best possible way. Yeah. I am compelled to serve. I want to serve people, whether that be in my city, my state, or my nation. Uh, Mother Teresa said, it's a very used quote, but if you want to change the world, go home and love your family. So for me, I, I'm not married. I don't have kids right now. Uh, but I thought, I have two options in life, I suppose. I can either change the world or I can change the world and to be a part of that. And so either way, you're going to, you're going to, you're going to, it's going to be all right. If you do nothing, it's going to change it for the worse. If you don't But if you love your family, you know, your spouse, your kids, then you change their world. You Mm -hmm. improve their world, their reality. And then all those subsequent generations, if there are, um, they benefit from that. And so, uh, or maybe there's, hopefully there's room for both for me, but, but, or I can commit myself in my life to the city of St. Louis, to the state of Missouri, and to the United States, and to make it better. I'm not saying it's awful now. It's not. Yeah. I choose to live here. I could have lived anywhere when I got out of the Army. I wanted, right. This is my home. This but is if we choose from. to believe that improvements can't be made and that we're doing the best we could possibly do and we can't do any better, how are we ever going to reach for the stars? How well, are we ever going to inspire new generations to reach for the stars? Well, yeah, and, and, and the, you know, when we're presented with different problems, one thing I... I Sometimes I try not to do too much, but when I read these kind of arguments or discussions in social media, um, like, well, we can't do this. You know, we have to focus on this issue. Mm-hmm. I think, well, this is the same thing. These are the same I people. hate the word can't. Well, yeah, well, me I too. I'm not but, a big fan. <laughs> but are, sometimes it's the same people who say we're the greatest nation in the world. Well, awesome. But shouldn't the greatest nation in the world be able to do some, more than one thing at once? Yeah. I mean, can exactly. we not? Can we not address homelessness or lack of education or international conflict at once if we're so great and we are let's put it to good use and let's put every bit of who we are as a nation as a people behind these causes and i don't think we've been challenged as as individuals and as a nation like in in terms of a leadership position saying when president kennedy said you know we will go to the moon by the end by the end of the decade we chose to go to the moon not because it is easy but because it is hard um so I think it, we need it a sounded challenge. a little different, though. Yeah, it sounded can, a little can, bit like, more like uh, we uh, what, chose, chose, we choose to go to the moon uh, and not, do the other things, <laughs> and not because it is easy, uh, be, but because it is hard. That's uh, right. You even threw in a little inflection yeah, with yeah, some of his eyes. Yeah, just, <laughs> I love it. Yeah. I love it. Eric Quimby. Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> Simpsons, ladies yeah. and gentlemen, right here on Next Gen Dems, broadcasting from uh, the wonderful Rendezvous Cafe and Wine Bar here at 217. Uh, I believe it's North Main. It's north of 70. So, uh, yeah. And the other side is K. So this would be just Main, but we'll call it North Main, 217. Rendezvous Cafe and Wine Bar. They've got a great event room here. They've got uh, fantastic wine and, and good food. Last time I was here, I had the spinach artichoke. you got to try it. It's, okay. It's phenomenal. Can do. Um, but it, to me, I look towards a future world. I, I see a lot of these, these brick-and-mortar places or uh, uh, wood places that are dilapidating, and I see the, that there's got to be a better way. There's got to be a future that maybe we've seen in movies. Maybe we've only seen in movies to this point, um, except for some areas like a Dubai or like, I don't know if you're familiar with the Venus Project in Florida, 
Um, but uh, Jacques Fresco had uh, some land where he put Venus Project homes on, and they look almost alien-like mm. in comparison to what we got nowadays. So kind of paint a vision of the future that, that you're seeing. Um, where could we go with infrastructure? Where could we go uh, with sustainability and, and our energy needs? Where should we go? So the we, I've, so as far as what infrastructure is going to look like, roads and bridges, I don't know. Uh, that That's I what I really love yeah, envisioning. Yeah, That's I, where I get passionate. I wish I, where's my I flying know we car, can do better. You know? I know we can do better. We can do better. Right. Uh, I, I, but it's, in terms of energy, uh, there are no limits. Um, but there are also inherent challenges and consequences. Not all consequences are bad, but there are inherent ch- consequences that, comes from, that come from these things. So, for instance, I have a hybrid mm-hmm. car. Uh, let's just say tomorrow everyone had a hybrid car, truck, whatever, but, but, or not even hybrid, but purely electric. Mm-hmm. All right. Sounds great. Uh, until someone said, well, Mark, electric cars have fewer moving pieces. I said, okay. Like, well, that requires fewer mechanics, mm-hmm. fewer people to build the car. I thought, oh my God. So, so that's the conundrum we're in, right? right I mean, people are going to lose jobs as we better innovate things right. and as things improve. So, so what might sound good just simply saying like, hey, cars are going to be more energy efficient or they're going to be hybrids or electric or whatever. Uh, that means, you know, we have different kind of charging stations and energy stations throughout the entire country. You're like, great, that's more jobs. But the thing is, though, it does create a new question of like, okay, well, what are we as a society going to do given that we are a, that this is such a base of our economy, creating vehicles, for instance, or, or roads or what have you. So say we get to a world that, that doesn't require as many jobs, um, a, a world that's vastly improved, but uh, put people out of work because they did it so well. Yeah, um, that I that I just you got me to say I don't know three times. Um, I, I don't know. <laughs> I like that. that. Yeah, I like I, that. I'm asking the hard yeah. questions here on Next Gen Devs. I try to come up with all the answers in my mind. I don't know the answer to that. Um, we are flying off the seat of our pants here. There's nothing prepared. There's no notes on the table. There's no notes. We, we are sitting here chit chatting. This is conversational. Um, we are chilling and, and talking. Uh, to the audience and and trying to let everyone know um, where where our guests stand on the views and in that you're going to find out where I stand on the views just because that's how this works. So let me see if there are any other questions. If not, we'll keep going. So uh, doesn't look like it. Uh, so look, there are pluses, minus, all this kind of stuff. So. I, well, my question is, is, so do we improve knowing that we can do better, or do we stifle innovation in order to maintain the status quo or the, the current economic structure? Right. So, no. Uh, we don't stifle. Go to what? We don't okay. stifle. Um, we push forward. And we do so. I love that. We, I, I'm we, not a fan of stifling. We, no. We do it fearlessly. And look, yes. I understand. Yes. I, I, we go to the moon and do the other things. Absolutely. That's right. Uh, so, I, 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 as best I can, I understand the fear and the concern and some and trepidation that comes with these momentous changes. Um, when we look back at who we were as a nation or as a world, uh, when we had horses. And so one question I ask, and it's not to all be flip or, or disrespectful, it's how many blacksmiths do we know? And not many. And so what did people do? How many people are making carriages anymore for right. horse and carriage? Right, right. So yeah. when we switched from the horse to the horseless carriage or the combustible engine and vehicles, that was a momentous. That was a, a monumental shift, and not just in in what we're doing transportation wise and how we're going to plan cities and roads and all that, but also what people were doing on a day to day job. How many people does it take to work a farm now versus a farm, shoot, forty years ago, yeah. sixty years ago, yeah. hundred years ago? 
So you don't all, need 50 men tilling a field when you got a, a great giant, tiller. Yeah, this um, giant thing. Yeah, it's it's terrifying. Um, mm-hmm. I think this is where this. I, I don't want this to scare people, but it, I'm just going to say it. This is where the government can help assist with that transition. Mm-hmm. It is not a it is not a blank check. It is not an all out answer. But look, government and industry, public private partnerships can and need to be relied upon in order to help transition to in order for us to get to the next spot that we need to go as a nation or beyond that so i don't know what things are going to look like i saw the jetsons just like everybody else but i don't know what's going to look like in the next 20 30 40 50 years Mm -hmm. but i do know we can't hold on to what we had 100 years ago for the simple reason of just because Mm -hmm. just because is not a good enough reason but that is not at all to be disrespectful to to the concern and the worries of like hey what am i going to do Mm-hmm. And I get it, and so it's like the people who made rotary phones weren't happy when smartphones came along and no, cell phones. No, and uh, but I think we also have to have have an economy and a, and a nation where new ideas uh, are encouraged and also allowed to flourish and, and, and keep pushing uh, rather than fear. Uh, fear's not going to look to be. And if we were creating a landscape where social situations like transportation, like health care, like child care were uh, able to be taken care of with our tax dollars, return on investment, then more people uh, could work less. I mean, everybody worries about let's create jobs, let's create jobs. In the future, the goal is going to be how can we create less work for humans? That's what machines are supposed to do. You created a screwdriver just so you didn't have to, to uh, you know, get in there and screw it by hand. Um, so machines are meant to improve our lives, um, and, and you don't want stifling of innovation. So how do we transition into that? Like you said, the government needs to be a tool, but how would you be a tool uh, in, in Congress? How would I be a tool? That's, 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 that's the next, <laughs> how next, would you next be able to transition <laughs> us into that from Congress? Um, uh, or at least be able to introduce legislation yeah, that can help with so that. So the, the, this is a key word I'm, I'm going to use a bunch of times, but incrementally. Mm-hmm. Uh, whatever it is we do when they have, when you have these large, huge, momentous shifts, whether they be in policy or in social norms or decorum or in technology or, or in employment, incrementally, um, you allow everyone, the, you allow people, you allow the market, you allow organizations, businesses, a government, city, state, federal, you allow them, you allow everybody to kind of adjust to this normally. And you do this incrementally and in steps. And I think part, the biggest part of this is communication. Mm-hmm. You cannot let people stay in the in the dark. When you're in the dark, your mind goes to places it never should be. Whether it's does he or she like me? Um, am I going to get this job? Am I not? How well did I do on the interview? Am I going to be able to pay the mortgage? Am I, all these things. And when well, you communication don't have, is one of the biggest things in all aspects, not just government, but relationships, interpersonal relationships. Everything. If you can't communicate, you're not going to be able to work together. Period. Right. And so, that, but that's where I think right now one of the areas where we can do better. And uh, look, I'm not trying to rip on Representative Ann Wagner, but communication's big. Rip away. No. I mean, no, no, no. <laughs> um, uh, oh, that's right. They go low, we go high. I got it. Communication is huge. Mm-hmm. And if people don't see you, look, all the. All How many town halls has she had this year? Not even this year. In her, Last year? None. I mean, no. the answer is going to be none across the board. Got um, it. So it's. Since she started? Since she started. She hasn't had one town no. hall. No listening parties, anything like that. They're called that, but that's only if you're a sizable donor. Ah. Uh, and and newsflash, private. I'm not that. Si- yeah, I'm not that sizable donor. I mean, even I don't have that money. So, right. um, 
So no, she hasn't. And that's disappointing because, look, this is truly about being a public servant. Uh, and I know people might be scoffing at that, but honest to God, that's what this is. Mm-hmm. And the best way for me to serve is I hope it's Congress. I think it is. Um, that's where my mind is at. It, it, it just reacts to these challenges differently than if it was something else. But whatever it is I do, it has to be. It must be in service of someone else, something else, something bigger and better than me. Um, that's the only thing that matters. Uh, to me, personally, I have to serve. I'm compelled. It's, like I said, forced in the best way. But she has not, she has never had one, and that's very, very disappointing. Uh, she was on KMOX, I think, uh, a few weeks ago, and she put out a, uh, a tweet that said, hey, if you're you know, available, I'm going to be on KMOX in like a few minutes. And first of all, it was in the afternoon on a Tuesday or Wednesday. I'm like, well, first, not well, everyone can just tune working. in, you know. Yeah. So... So I messaged her respectfully, of course, and I messaged uh, KMOX, and I sent them my, my information, my phone number, email address, all that. And it was afterwards they got back. They, oh, maybe we'll talk. To, basically, it was maybe we'll talk to you after the primary. So I'm not sure. Like, she's worth seven point something million dollars, seven point seven million dollars. I don't have that money. I don't know if she's intimidated by me. I don't think so. Um, but. Look, if she's got things under control, great. Then let's talk about it. Let's put it in an area and in, in an arena where everybody can come and where there's not a five-minute heads up, but where there's you know a couple weeks or a month of a, hey, look, Representative Ann Wagner and Mark Osmack are going to talk about the issues that are most important. And do I'm going to do this is what Senator Claire McCaskill does. She great idea. She she walks into she goes into these areas where she knows she's not exactly loved, mm-hmm. and she says, who here doesn't like me? And X number of people raise their hands. She says, great. Write down a question, any question. I'm going to answer it. And she says, who here dislikes me the most? And somebody raises their hand. Fantastic. You're going to be the one to pick the question. So they put the questions in a basket or like in a, in a bowl or something. And he, he or she are, are the ones that pick it. There is no prep. There's no anything like that. And so they just go through question by question by question. Um, so uh, that's what I would like to do with Representative Wagner. I think that's what people here would want. Um, Look, if, if everything's great, then just say it. Don't do it over tweets. Don't do it over Facebook. Don't do it over, here's a five-minute KMOX update uh, or, you know, a heads up on when I'm going to be on the air. Um, do it so everybody can go, and that's the thing. I honestly think that we uh, Democrats who are running uh, should do that in a very um, similar fashion before we're even elected because people need to see. Thank you. People need to see exactly where we stand, and people need to be able to ask those tough questions. I actually uh, considered going to the the local Republican uh, uh, Central Committee Mm. and seeing if they'd be willing to have me come in and speak because I really enjoy going into a lion's den situation, much like Clerk in McCaskill. Um, I really enjoy going into a situation where they're going to ask me the toughest questions. They're going to try to throw some curveballs at me. That's what I dig. I, I went to Canvas uh, uh, in Columbia for McKellis Skelton in mm-hmm. the special yep, yep, election. Yep, yep, yep. Um, and I walked in and I said, give me the Republican houses. I want to go to the reddest red. Yep. Let's do this. Um, I'm going to take a bathroom break momentarily. And then let's talk about, if you're okay with it, uh, basically what the Democratic Party can do differently and better. Um, I think there's a reason why we're struggling or have been struggling the way we are. Okay. Cool. All right. Yeah, we'll do that. All right. We are back from our break. Um, And Mark is going to illuminate for us some of the the issues within the Democratic Party and uh, some of the struggles that we have. So 
Uh, again, we are here with Mark Osmack. He is running in Congressional District 2. Um, we are broadcasting live-ish. This will be taped, but we are live uh, during business hours at, at the wonderful Rendezvous Cafe and Wine Bar here in O'Fallon, Missouri. It's 217 North Main Street. Um, want to throw a shout-out to them for being such gracious hosts. They're always so good to us. Um, so definitely make it a point to come in here and check it out. Um, great environment, great ambiance. And Mark Osmack, we're kicking right back into it. So... Let us know, man, what are, what are some of the issues that can help the Democratic Party go on to victory in yeah. 2018? I, so I think part of it is, this is going to be a little bit of stream of consciousness, but I think part of it is we need to stop complaining. Um, mm-hmm. Look, I get it, gerrymandering, I get it, electoral college, but look, if we have the right candidate with the right message, that doesn't matter. So If we have resounding victories, those things don't come into play. However, the gerrymandering, there, it's there's a, no, some it, definite it, effects it, going it, on. It is. It is. But, look, my time in the Army, no one likes excuses. Mm-hmm. Um, if they're valid or not, or not valid. Nobody it, likes excuses. Nobody likes excuses. So we got to quit complaining. Mm-hmm. We lost. Yeah. And not just in 2016. But when we look at the state, I mentioned earlier. Been losing for 10 years. Man. We've been losing for a long time. And, and it, I don't think it's just because of the way – you know, the, this district cuts down this street and it's a border. Yeah, that's a thing. And I do think the, the answer, I think, is pretty similar or simple. You just have either a third-party entity like the League of Women Voters deciding as an arbiter or deciding, hey, these were the lines going to be drawn. Or you have a bipartisan committee where you have, you know, three Democrats and three Republicans or however many, six and six, but deciding where these things are going to be drawn. Um, that, that, that's how you do it. You can remove, like, the political vengeance side of this because, look, Hopefully there's, you know, things change politically and Demo- more Democrats are elected, but not out of vengeance. And so okay. I, I, I don't have any doubt that anybody else is going to say, well, we're going to try to stick it to the Republicans after this. And I, look, it's not I have going no to, doubt either. And I, I don't no want to do either, that. But you know what? I, I'm going to be one of the first Democrats to stand up and say, hey, we didn't like it when it was done to us. This thing needs to be even. Uh, Every even, yes. voice matters. Even yes, but not – I don't want to be – look, I don't want to punish another party because we were done the same thing. I, I really yeah. do think that. And so – we got to play this. We got to play this right, um, and so I think to me that matters. But but not so. That's that's one thing. Take responsibility of why we have struggled. Here's the other issue, and this is not meant to be a downer statement. In the Missouri in the Missouri government, we have a Republican governor, Republican lieutenant governor, attorney general, secretary of state, treasurer, a two thirds majority in the House for Republicans, a two thirds majority in the Senate. In the United States, our federal government, we have a Republican president, Republican House, Republican Senate. <laughs> You know, so look, what we're I laugh, doing, but it's painful. It's, it's painful, a painful well, laugh. Well, what we're doing isn't working. And ask almost anybody, what do Democrats believe in? And they're going to say, well, they're going to hem and haul over it. But they don't know. Now, the thing is, the Republican Party is struggling now. No one knows what they believe in either. It's not small government anymore. It's not, you know, government's not in your bedroom, not doing this, not, no, that's not it. They're, it's not being fiscally responsible with their 1.5 trillion giveaway. Exactly. It's, they are not, they to are the not true welfare queens. <laughs> so yeah, corporate, yeah, yeah, corporations. <laughs> uh, so it's not, th- that's not what it is. Not so, just corporations. Some of them are good. Right. Multinational corporations that offshore the American right. dream. Right, and, and not bringing tax dollars to the United States. Exactly they right. Move, yeah, not paying into the infrastructure that they, they make money right. from. So, so we have to do better. And the first way to do that, and it's a, it, you know, the, one of the hashtags I use is hashtag be bold. And the thing is, I would rather have people disagree with my stances 
than them not know what they are. Yeah. So on my website, shameless plug, markosmack.com, M-A-R-K-O-S. It's not shameless. That's it's why you're shameless. here. O-S-M-A-C-K.com. <laughs> my positions are there on 17 different issues, and not just the air quotes, uh, softball things that you would expect, such as healthcare, which, you know, love talked about, or, or anything else, um, uh, but also LGBTQ rights and also race in this district. Race as a whole. Race is an issue. Yeah. Uh, the racial inequality is an issue. Absolutely. And whether or not it's convenient. Racial injustice. Injustice is an issue. Whether it's convenient or not, I can't care. It's a reality, and it must be addressed. And the worst thing that we can do is pretend that it doesn't exist or it's not there. Mm-hmm. So it is. And being born a minority puts people at an inadvertent and unnecessary disadvantage for the moment that they're born. This is a fact. When I get pulled over by a police officer, I have never thought what's going to happen to me. Not mm-hmm. once. Uh, because I'm white and I'm a male. And, and, and th- th- that is – so I can't change that. But what I can do is do what's right because it is right. And what I can do is say, hey, this is a problem. Let's address it. That's with, with – with, when I say power, but with the, with the capability that I do have just as a human being and as someone who's a St. Louis and as someone who's a Missourian and someone who's a veteran, I can say these things are, are an issue. I'm going to make some noise about it. So first thing I'd say to, to, for us Democrats is like we got to take a stand and explain why. No dancing around, no tap dancing, no being cute, no using just these words that no one understands. We have to actually explain why we believe what we believe. But the first thing is we have to know what we believe in. For me, I know. In the fluff, come correct, come straight. Yes, exactly. Just yeah. there it is. Yeah. Um, so whether it's abortion, what you can call abortion or women's reproductive rights, whatever it is, let's talk about it. Let's talk about that. Let's sure. talk about that. We were just talking about it outside before the show, but... Um, let us know where you stand on, on women's reproductive rights and um, choice, life. Where, sure. So, what are your beliefs? So I'm going to answer that directly. I just want to give one little just background. Most okay. of my family is, uh, is, is very, very, very uh, pro-life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is the one single issue uh, for them. Um, I understand it. Yeah, but are they pro-life or pro-birth? Yes, there's a huge difference. Yes, there um, is. So pro-life, I understand. But in reality, I think what it turns out to be is pro-birth. And then once mm-hmm. you, the moment that you come into this world, it's good luck. Hope you got some bootstraps somewhere and you can find them and pull them up yourself. Or maybe you can borrow one or something. And, God and be with you. God be with you. And, and uh, see you never. So that's not the way to go about this. Um, it's very hard for me to... No, I don't think anybody likes abortion. But I, as a white male, and as a male, I cannot and should not be involved in this debate. My job, I feel, is to support and defend and to back women when and where I can. Mm -hmm. And that no matter what decision anybody makes, that this is done respectfully and properly that is what I think. If responsibly. I could, responsibly. And I have to say just again, it's like respectfully that that's, that's, that, that if, I could, if I could do one thing, that would be it. Mm-hmm. Um, if there was a way to sign a piece of paper and remove the necessity for abortion, okay. But the fact is, is that we're humans. Things happen. I don't understand everything. I, I, I try to, but I, I will fail at some things. I really will. But my job, I think, the best thing I can do for women 
for my sister, for my mother, for my aunts, my nieces, for everybody. She's like, look, I, no matter what, I'm going to love you, and my job is to support you no matter what happens. And that is not only true in reproductive issues, but in general. And so it is hard. I, I would encourage people to go beyond that. It's one thing to say that we are, we're pro-life or pro-birth, and another one to say, praise the Lord and pass the ammunition. Look, those things just, <laughs> it, it, they, they don't agree with each other. Mm-hmm. And uh, either from a religious sense or a non-religious sense. And so if, if Jesus were to come back tomorrow and he said, what did you do? And they said, well, I fought abortion. Like, okay, what else? Well, nothing. They're still cold. They're still hungry. They're still uneducated. They still, like, well, okay, great. You know, I mean, well, what exactly that, did you that's accomplish? That's pretty bad. And, yeah. and, you know, part of this is a civics lesson, too. I'm not trying to remove the, 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 the responsibility for myself. The House of Representatives has nothing to do with this decision. This is a Supreme Court decision, Roe v. Wade, mm-hmm. that was, dis- first of all, when the President of the United States says, I have a Supreme Court justice nominee, the United States Senate says yay or nay, mm-hmm. and then he or she becomes a Supreme Court justice nominee. So the United States House of Representatives, when Ann Wagner says she's against abortion, cool. okay, great, I'm, I'm against that chair. I mean, it, it's about that equivalent of it. They're making things much, much more difficult for women to have access to not only uh, to not only reproductive services but health services. So we also have an environment and in a nation where health services of any kind are basically unaffordable if you don't have a good good insurance program. So when women go to uh, Planned Parenthood, it's not always just for that. It's like, hey, I want to get checked on this. I want to get checked on that. Where else are they supposed to go? Yeah. So if, if one party is saying, look, I, you know, don't do this, which, first of all, that's, you don't get to do that. Yeah. But if they do, that's not your decision. It's not your decision. And yeah. if they do, then, like, where do you want them? To, this is the, you can't say no contraception. It's against my beliefs for, for birth control. Well, who's making you take it? And the thing is, like, where, you know, this is like an interesting legal argument, but where do you come, where do you draw the line uh, in this issue? Do you punish the energy company for providing electricity to Planned Parenthood? Do you punish the water company? Do you, I mean, so like, what's supporting? How deep do we go down exactly. that rabbit hole? And so it's just, it's just yeah. like, look, when it comes to contraception, if you don't want to take it, then don't take it. Yeah, but that's you know, your business. It's your business. Don't it's, mess with someone else's it's business. It's not my business. Yeah, shouldn't uh, that be personal responsibility, it, personal freedom? Personal freedom. But like, yeah. look, you're either, you want the government out or you don't. Yeah. And you can't have the government out of, can't your, cherry pick out it. of your business except for the bedroom. Yeah. So it just it's not how it works. And I, maybe everyone forgot what it's like to be 17 or 20. I don't know. But look, I'm a human. I'm not perfect. I'm flawed. This people is... don't realize. People don't realize how messed up our priorities are um, or the represent the priorities of our representatives. Because like Flint, Michigan, for, for instance, um, their water was polluted. It all came down. Um, and one of the first laws that they passed was to make sure that you could only have missionary position, missionary sex <laughs> in your bedroom behind closed doors by law. And that's absolutely ridiculous. Well, yeah, you can't Where, enforce well, it. I mean, <laughs> come on now. <laughs> you know, it's like with the, the things with the bathrooms. Is there going to yeah. be um, – they tried to attack me because I thought that, that um, transgender – People should be able to use the any restroom. That, yeah, yeah. I think that a restroom should be used as it, its signage says. Like I did ten minutes ago. Restroom. Yeah, it's yeah. a bathroom, and it doesn't matter what you are. If you well, have to go to the bathroom, you have to go to the bathroom. I, I do want to get back to what you were talking about, though, because it kind of plays into something else that we were talking about. Um, 
what do we do when we realize that the insurance companies are not working in our best interests um, and that, that comes back to us innovating past the idea of insurance companies and it's going to put them out of a job. So we can't stifle the innovation there either. No, so so part of it is, uh, and that comes into the reproductive and, right. and the well, healthcare needs of people. Part of this is the the I word, inc- being, doing things incrementally. Um, so you know, kind of like Bernie Sanders said, the twenty seven our average donors are twenty seven dollars. <laughs> um, I pay forty six dollars and nine and nine cents a month, so forty six oh nine in health insurance. And the reason why, and whenever I tell people that, their jaws drop. And the reason why is because I'm in the Army Reserves. I'm on Tricare Select. They want a twelve hundred dollars from us. That, a month. No, no, that's, I mean, I, I believe you, it's just that that's god-awful. Yeah. Um, so I pay $46.09 a month, and the simple statement is, I don't believe you should have to go to prison or join the military, as much as I love the Army, and always will, to, get to have affordable health care, uh, to have affordable education. So that's the first thing. If I, as, look, as a leader, if, if Ann Wagner is in office, how dare she have better health insurance than you? Mm-hmm. Leaders eat last. Leaders go last. They ensure that everyone else is taken care of before their own. Period. She has not done that. The reason why I harp on how much money I pay for health insurance is not definitely not to brag. It's not to make people feel bad. But to say, look, if I pay this, congratulations. That is now the new standard. One or two things will happen. Either everyone's going to be to that standard, that, that financial standard of $46.09 a month. And I should clarify, that is for an individual without a dependent, dependent being a spouse and or children. Mm-hmm. If you do have a spouse and or children, it is a flat rate. I can't remember the amount, but it's a little over 200, 242, 212, something to that effect. Um, that is, congratulations, congratulations, hominus dominus. That is now the new standard. I cannot and will not accept anything else that p- other people do not have. If I'm elected to Congress, that's it. So if, if Ann Wagner or anybody else is, has access to health care or any other benefit that no one else does, wrong answer. I think exactly it's time to right. find a new job. I think it's time Especially to find something else. when they else. vote against other people having the same yes. health care that they have. Yes. So, so it is ridiculous. I, I know everyone likes sound bites, so I, I'll try this. But health care is not for profit. My health, your health, Chrissy's health. My family's health, my girlfriend's health, anybody. My daughter's health. Your daughter's health Mm -hmm. is not for profit. Mm -hmm. This is not a profit industry. It shouldn't be, just like education shouldn't be. There are things that. But now we're in a position where if we do away with insurance companies and go to a single payer system, we'll still have premium insurance companies where you can buy into insurance uh, on the open market that will be better than the average person who is on the single-payer And, and, and they will healthcare. compete financially saying, we you're, offer these things for this always going to have right. a premium yeah. for whatever service sure. it is. That's so. what a lot of European nations do is like if you, you, you have health insurance, but if you want you know, better or quicker, then you get you, know, you pay yeah. a little bit more, you live a little bit more. A lot of people say, I want the government to stay out of my health care, but they don't understand that uh, their health care has be, kind of become – the government, the, the insurance companies have kind of become a governing body over them and has power over them. Right. And, and look, we, we are one of the few nations in the industrialized world that, that has the kind of insurance system that we have. Mm-hmm. So that's why I say incrementally, you allow the market to adjust. You do not do that. We cannot do this overnight and say all of a sudden everyone pays, let's say, 4609 
So th- that, that, that can't be what we do. But what we can do is say this is where we want to be, be in X number of years. And then you work to that. So one of the ideas that Senator Sanders had was you incrementally lower the age of entry into, Medicaid system, into the Medicaid system. And so by doing that, you allow the private industry to adjust and to acclimate and to respond. And you also allow people ample time to say, okay, this is what I'm doing. I'm getting in. I have some time. There's not, there's not a proverbial gun to your head on how you're going to make, this, to make this happen. So we do this incrementally. I, I, I can't use the term uh, free health care uh, or health care is right because everyone's turned off by that. Um, but what we can do is say, hey, look – the amount of the, the quality of care you receive should not be based upon how much money you earn. And it should not be based upon how much money your family had or has. Mm-hmm. It should be based upon because you're a person and you're a United States citizen. Mm-hmm. Or you're just a person visiting. I mean, I visited, uh, I traveled to Europe when I was in the Army, and I hurt my, just rolled my ankle, and I was taken care of. I wasn't a member of the EU, and I was no longer in the active, I was no longer stationed in Europe, so, but I was still taken care of. Um, Why? Because you're a human. Because I'm a human, and I hurt That's myself. Right. I was stepping off, uh, stepping on a step, and I rolled my ankle really bad, and that was it. It was just what happened. But they took care of it, and uh, I learned a lot from that looking at it. So, like, where, where their priorities were. And so I don't think this is a scary th- – well, I understand why it can be a, ser- a scary thing, but it's something that we can do better, and uh, it should not be dependent upon how much money you have. Right. I absolutely agree. Um what are some, some things that uh, you really want to tackle your first time out? I know you want to do a lot of things incrementally, mm-hmm. um, but what are some, some really pressing issues to you? Uh, part of it is education, and that, again, again includes trade schools, includes trade schools, includes trade schools. Um, one thing that apprenticeships. was— Apprenticeships. Yes, apprenticeships. These things have been left behind. There is—it is—look— it is, look, I, I, I actually I find plumbing very interesting. <laughs> like I really do. Like I, I tell my girlfriend Caitlin, uh, there are two things I can fix: toilets and tires. You know, that's about that's about the extent of it. But there are other there are a lot of other ways to be to to have a a very sustainable a great a great life and to raise a family that does not include going to a school that no one can afford. Um, yeah. So the one thing that you cannot declare bankruptcy on is education. Um, so, or one of the things you can't declare bankruptcy on is education costs. So, uh, that's one of them is lower, but by and large, it's lowering the barrier to entry for jobs, for education, for healthcare. And when I say incrementally, it's not, not to not put me in a corner. I will gladly be in a corner. It's just, I worked, I worked on the, in DC on the Hill for two years, focusing on department of defense, veterans administration and international affairs issues. And even if you're the best, whomever, you know, which, whichever uh, public servant you like the most, would be a president or a senator or representative, no one, you can't do things in one day. And so, but you can start this and you can do it right and have the scoring right, meaning how much it's going to cost. You can get these things in place and do it well and coordinate with other legislators well in order to make these things a reality. So uh, gun violence, I'm not going to shy away from. Okay, I'm, I'm not going to shy away from it. I'm not afraid of the NRA. We as a nation have that makes uh, two of us. We have allowed the conversation. We have allowed the belief to be that to be an American is synonymous with gun ownership, and gun ownership is synonymous with being an American, and that is a flagrant lie. Yeah. So it's definitely I, a misnomer. It's <laughs> yeah, that's putting it politely. I, so I, I, we do we do need to wrap this yep. up. So um, go ahead and finish that thought, yep. and then uh, I want to hit you with a couple quick ones. Sure. Uh, so so. First things would be education, 
gun violence uh, and, and ensuring that people have access to affordable health care. The access is there. It's just people can't get it or they can't afford it. And I, I, no matter if you make $1 a year or $10 million, uh, that shouldn't determine the amount of health care that you get. Right. You still deserve to be healthy as a human being. And this includes, I, we've, I know we've touched on criminal justice reform, which, mm-hmm. you know, I'm mm-hmm. very involved so, in. So let me, let me hit on a couple last questions. One, um, where do you stand on DACA, immigration reform? I could not be more in favor of it. Uh, okay. We are simply stated we are a better and more beautiful nation because of DACA and because of immigration. And I will, if you put a gun to my head, I'm not changing my views on LGBTQA plus rights or in DACA or immigration rights. It's just not going to happen. So. And, and women reproductive rights. That's that's not changing. I'm I'm there. I'm going to I'm be I'm there now. I'm going to be there tomorrow. And that's never ever changing. And we're going to stand by that. Um, unlike some people who like to work across the line and, and vote on both ways. I'm going to listen. That's the thing. Yeah. But this is you especially listen. with communication. Back to communication. It is respect. It is listening. I'm not mm-hmm. saying I'm right and everybody else is wrong. This is just look. I'm a man. I don't. Get, I sh- I'm not going to determine what's best for a woman and what for her to do. Uh, my job is to be supportive and respectful, and that's it. Okay. Back to the vote. Voting rights. Yeah. How do we get more people to be able to vote and have less disenfranchisement? Sure. So you allow more absentee voting. You allow for more distance voting. And I don't know why we don't have, uh, when you're 18, congratulations, you're automatically enrolled to vote. Unless, Agreed. unless you actively decide to disenroll from that right. Right. And, and this includes, and I don't care if this ticks people off, this includes after you're out of prison and you've served your time, I don't want to punish you again. How can we say you've served your time, you, you, made, you made a mistake, you served well, most time. People go, uh, Wait, you, you served time, you're out. Okay. But your voice still doesn't matter. No, well, it right. should. Well, it the, should. The thing is, is that most people don't realize um, in Missouri, if you've served your time and you've paid your penance um, and you've cleared, been cleared, then you can vote. You can re-register and you can start voting again, right. even as a felon. Right. And, 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 and this is different than gun ownership. They don't want you to they know that. They don't want you to, but this is, I mean, this is different <laughs> than gun ownership. Like, look, voting is, is, is the way. Every two, four, and six years, my city, our city, state, and nation asks our opinion. And we get to answer. And on one day and one day only, my vote, your vote, the person who just got out of prison, hopefully, all it's all the same. Yes. Our vote is the same Rich, as the, the president, poor, the poor, everybody. Yeah. It is all the same. And that has to be defended. That has to be guarded. So With our lives. And it is. It is. But then our representatives get into office and they want to see how many people they could get to not vote. So they win. So they can keep the power. On to the next question real quick. The, the battery is going yep. low in the video over here. Um, where do you stand on legalization? Where do you stand on cannabis? Uh, I support it. Okay. So Explain let me that be very clear. Sure. Further. So I have never smoked weed. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, I don't ever plan to. Um, I'm tested in the Army uh, regularly. Um, that's the Department of Defense's and the United States Army's decision. Um, I don't disagree with it at all. Uh, however, I don't think people should be in prison because of marijuana. And I don't think it should be legal. Look, especially is, when a majority of people in prison are locked up for a nonviolent crime. Right. And so, like, look, I had a beer here. So I had a beer here. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> there's no difference. Okay, there really isn't more people die from alcohol-related incidents than marijuana. That's just the a, huge just, difference. Just a, just a fact. <laughs> That's a huge and so, difference. Again, though. this is coming from a non-marijuana smoker. Uh-huh. Nobody should be in prison because of this. This is ridiculous. It picks on, it focuses on minorities rather than someone honestly looks like me. And, and yeah. this rented sweater and these rented jeans. So they so keep the prisons full. Keep the, the prisons full. Out of the house, yeah. And then and, and now, now they're a felon and going. they can't vote and all this ridiculousness. So, look, I know people don't understand it. It's okay. If we're limited to our own understanding, we're never accomplishing anything as a society. So we have to trust. We have to move beyond this. Marijuana is not a threat to people. It's not a threat to society. I understand, again, that people may not like it. I get it. 
But look, a beer or 10 beers or a bottle of bourbon or anything else is far more dangerous than weed. It and just most is. people will tell you that. Most yes. people are fully and completely aware of that. Now that we have access to information, now that we're not driven completely by propaganda, although some people still are, um, most people will tell you the only reason I don't like it is because it's against the law. Right. And it, look, oh, I, I, we, oh we, so if we passed a law and we made it legal, right. you gotta, no, said, no, it heals. It, it's a healer. I know so-and-so that does it, and they're great. And yeah, blah, blah, well, blah, I, blah. I can tell you this. If someone made, if the government made methamphetamine legal tomorrow, which they wouldn't, but if they did, I still wouldn't do it. Hell And the I, reason why is because I don't want to be addicted. Excuse my language. So, so uh, uh, look, the legality is now what stops people on this. I choose not to smoke pot. That's just mm-hmm. a personal choice, but I had a beer. Mm-hmm. I choose not to do methamphetamine, not because I, I don't know, maybe I could find out, I don't know, but I choose not to do it because I don't want to be addicted. Yeah. And so that's the, the, a personal choice, and... So, no, no one should be. And it, it, we have lost generations of African-American males, sadly, and other to minorities. Our prison to, our prison system. to our prison systems. And it's because of the difference between crack cocaine and cocaine. And because it's, it's, it's easier to pen this as some guy or gal in East St. Louis or in downtown St. Louis, and they're getting high. and all. No. And it's easier to pick on them because they can't, they can't go past it right now. And so they can't afford to defend themselves. They can't afford to defend themselves, themselves but I will. And so, no, I do not think it should be illegal. It is. This is 2018. What are we doing? This is ridiculous. (laughs) Absolutely. All right. Mark Osmak, I thank you for coming on today. Uh, Next Gen Dems, Episode 2. So you are really helping lay the foundation for this whole show. (laughs) Um, And I appreciate you coming. I appreciate Rendezvous Cafe and Wine Bar for hosting us today. Um, Phenomenal place, 217 North Main Street here in O'Fallon, Missouri. And uh, thank you guys for watching. Check out Mark Osmak at? MarkOsmak.com, M-A-R-K-O-S-M-A-C-K.com. You got it. You got it. So check it out. Thanks for watching. Next Gen Dems, I'm Curtis Wilde. I'm Mark Osmak. Thanks, Chris. Thank you.